The National Association for Primary Education has an SEND conference in association with the University of Bedfordshire on the 26th of April 2024. This is a hybrid event and available to anybody in person or online. Please go to nape.org.uk for more information. That's nape.org.uk. I'm delighted to share I am now delivering podcast training courses for the London School of Public Relations. The One Day Essentials of Podcasting Certificated Short Course is highly practical and packed full of useful information to get you on the road to producing your own professional podcasts. The podcast course will help you to create, edit, deliver and promote your podcast. The course also provides useful tips and tricks on producing professional and effective results. So you can find out about these in-person and online training courses at educationonfire.com forward slash LSPR. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. Great to be back with you again and thank you to everyone who's been sharing the show and supporting the show through educationonfire.com forward slash support. It makes all the difference to be able to bring you these amazing, creative and inspiring conversations that are really just helping everyone involved with our children through education in their overall learning experience. Now today I'm delighted to be chatting to David Herwitt. David has lived and worked around the world and is now based in Burlington, Vermont with his wife and two golden retrievers. Their three kids have now graduated from college, but it was his experience with them on their college journeys that started his innovator's brain cranking on what became Truve. Having worked in admissions through grad school, he was amazed at how little technology and the internet had impacted the college search and admissions process. And even more, he was dismayed to discover how often students were transferring or dropping out altogether. In early 2020, this led directly to his founding Truve, a two-sided AI-powered platform to help students discover their passions, people and place based on real experiences of recent alumni and current higher education students. Now, I really hope you enjoy this conversation, the way that Dave manages to be able to share his experience with his daughter on the road trip when they went to visit the college and really understand exactly what it is that makes you really want to go somewhere feel at home somewhere reminded me very much of when you walk into a school and you get a sense of it's not about the numbers it's about the feel it's about understanding who you're about like I said your passions and your understanding and he really managed to encapsulate this in such a fantastic conversation so I really hope you enjoy this my conversation with David Herwitt talking about Truve. Hi Dave thank you so much for joining us here on the Education on Fire podcast College admissions is something that we have covered in the past, but what I love is the ingenuity and the invention that's going to make it more and more supportive for individuals. And as a parent of someone in the UK, at least, you know, traveling around the country to see different colleges is hard enough. Very different when you're in the US with the, the amount of geography that you've got to get through to do that as well. So I'm, I'm fascinated and intrigued by what you've come up with and in, in how it's supporting kids. Yeah, I'm happy to be with you, Mark. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about the issue and, and the, the pain points that students and universities are, are, are going through right now because they're, they're pretty intense. So why don't we start with exactly you know, what is Truve and, and, and how did it sort of come into fruition? Sure. Yeah, Truve uh, is a matching platform uh, to help students find their best fit college or university. And I'll I just I know that in the UK and the US we we refer to colleges and universities perhaps a little bit differently, 
just in the US, um, they are interchangeable words. Um, there's no clear definition as to which is a university, which is a college. So I might, I might sort of flow back and forth and sure. don't be alarmed by that. But um, there are roughly 4,000 colleges and universities in the United States. Um, students have absolutely no idea which one is the right one for them. And the system that has evolved over time really is all about finding the one you can get into or the one you can afford. And the reality is that methodology and that model just doesn't work very well because 50% of all students end up changing schools or dropping out altogether. Uh, and so it's a flip of a coin as to whether we're doing it the right way, or the wrong way. And that, that indecision or that, that, um, kind of failure rate has very real consequences when you start talking to individual students um, and to their families and to the cost and to the stresses that that, that brings. Um, and then obviously, if you look at it from the university's perspective, it's also extremely expensive, inefficient business model. So we are, very simply put, a two-sided matching platform that helps students find the schools where they're not only likely to get in, but likely to get out uh, with the education and diploma that they're seeking. Uh, and that helps both sides. And so I came at this uh, about four years ago as a parent initially. I've built a 30-year career developing new products and services in a range of different industries. And I have three now grown children who, are, who have graduated from university. Uh, but taking each of them through this process was alarming and dismaying. Um, and, and I thought we could do better. And so uh, we set about kind of pulling together the team and the technology that we thought would help students to find their forever uh, school. Love it. And the thing that I just get so excited about with all of these conversations is just, it's so easy just to talk about, oh, it was really hard and this didn't quite work and that didn't work, as opposed to, I think we can do it better. Let's go out and create something that's going to do that. And I think that proactiveness in that sense of um, a positive idea that the world can be different we can just do something about it and uh, and i think that sort of collaboration and just hearing these stories time and time again just makes you feel like we're not just stuck there are people out there that are making a difference and yeah i absolutely love that so t take us into the your, sort of your children's story where did those frustrations lie what, what did it look like and, and sort of how did you sort of overcome it sort of pre pre your own solution Sure. Yeah, so I'll, I'll take you back to uh, my oldest uh, and I were trying to figure out where she should go to school. And she had lots of benefits that the majority of students don't have. Right. She had two parents who'd gone to graduated from college. Um, she had a decent uh, high school counselor uh, providing her with with advice on where she should go. We also hired her a private college advisor, which maybe five percent of the students in the U.S. can afford to do. Um, and, and from that, we distilled down a list of schools that we thought would be just perfect for her. And she and I um, took the time to go drive out and go on a college tour. Again, not something that everyone can, can do. So she had lots of advantages. We drive about six hours in the middle of New York State to, to get to the first school. And we thought this was the bullseye, perfect definition of what she had wanted. And we'd worked so hard and invested so much to, to create this list. And we drove on a campus and she said, no, no, dad, don't even get out of the car. Not going to happen. This is not for me. And after a six hour drive and thousands of dollars invested, I said, no, you're, you're going to get out of the car. <laughs> uh, we're going to take that tour. Um, and then let's, let's just learn a little bit. Let's go take a nice walk and, and then we'll figure it out. So we did that and um, we got back in the car and she said, yeah, this isn't for me, but um, you know, I think I learned something. And I said, I'll tell you what, you control the radio. 
So you're going to get on Spotify and choose music that's going to boost your mood. And I'm going to jump on Yelp and I'm going to find us a restaurant that we're going to love in this town we don't know. And sure enough, we had an amazing dinner and the music was perfect. And um, it occurred to me that the matching technology of the Spotify algorithm and the Yelp algorithm to find us just what we wanted based on our pro- on our patterns of preference, right? Where we like to eat, we'd give it thumbs up and thumbs down and it would learn our patterns and compare those patterns to other users on the platform and say the people that love what Dave and his daughter Claire love also love these other restaurants. And they nailed it. And, and the idea that we would go spend a quarter of a million dollars on an education and be essentially asking a teenager, what do you think, as opposed to using a data-driven solution was the original sort of genesis for this idea for me that technology and today's way of matching need uh, with supply is fundamentally different than the way it was when I was in university, my parents were in university, where you just sort of knew about a few schools, sent some applications and trusted that that was gonna work out. We can do better. And so, like you said, I have, um, kind of a, a, an inventor's mentality and mindset. And I said, okay, let me see if I can solve this problem. Um, and so we started to just build this application that draws, I think, the best solutions from other industries, um, like the ones I mentioned with Spotify and Yelp, um, and taking more of a networked approach to saying, let's, let's not just think about schools that are a f- you know an hour drive from home. Let's be a little more expansive in our thinking about that and realize that Uh, Again, it's not about getting your student into school, but it's about getting them out of school in in the best way, right? Getting them out with a degree. Um, And so that's really the problem we're trying to solve. Yeah, I I think that's really fascinating in two ways. First of all, it's amazing, isn't it? No matter what the website looks like, no matter, like you say, what all the stats are and what the research is. And I know this from taking my kids to you know various schools and, and as well as sort of college university is the sense that you you have a feeling like you say before you've done the tour before you've walked around you just think yes or no a bit like buying a house sometimes there's no it's, right or wrong <laughs> students it's it's I've, I've done this a lot with my kids and others and the that is a typically it's a binary thing right it's a yes or no it's um, it either it's goosebumps and I have to go here dad or no, 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 never going to happen. And and sometimes that's a little superficial. It's raining. Um, the tour guide was very attractive or unattractive to, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's stupid things. But there is a deeper thing going on here about students being very perceptive about what is the culture here and are these my people, right? I hear that phrase a lot from students in particular. I just want to find my people. And, and that's not to be confused with sort of a homogenous, Um, I'm just trying to find people like me, but I'm trying to find people that find comfort in the kind of learning culture and social culture that I find to be reinforcing and reaffirming and, and, and comfortable. And so we took that approach as we developed our matching algorithm. We, we base it around a quiz and it takes about 10 minutes for a student to take the quiz. And the questions are really centered around academic uh, and social culture preferences. And we started with industrial psychologists to help us ask the right questions. And it's all built around uh, what they refer to as psychological safety, which may be familiar to some folks. Um, I'm not a psychologist. And they explain it to me as like the, the set of conditions that, that, um, that would allow a, or encourage a turtle to come out of its shell. 
So out of the classroom, what are the conditions where you're going to pop your head out and be yourself, your true self, and be comfortable and happy with your head out high? And the same in the classroom. And so we ask a series of questions about, you know, when you're in the classroom, do you like to work in groups? How important is a relationship with your professor? When you have a problem, how do you solve that problem? Um, working on all those different types of, of questions, you see a pattern emerge about the kind of ways that in which you know I as a student would learn best. And there are schools for, for whom that type of, of uh, approach is perfect. And that's best reflected, I believe, through the people who've actually gone to school there. And so that's one of our innovations is to say, we're going to pattern match prospective students with existing students or recently graduated students and say, in this very quick quiz, we can establish the cultures academically and socially of a school and then compare those to what a student, a prospective student would want and say, this is the subset of schools where you are most likely to be comfortable um, and, um, and, and feel like you are able to do your best work and enjoy yourself the most um, over the course of your, your education. I love the story in terms of, like, say, with the Spotify and Yelp and that kind of thing, because it's the sort of thing that we're now just using all the time. <laughs> and so we feel very comfortable right. with that. And we understand, maybe not in depth, but we understand how it works, why it works. And and, and we, we take, like I say, some comfort in that. Because like you said, you immediately knew we'd be able to find a restaurant that made us have a meal that we really like you know music that's going to change your mood and it, and it makes perfect sense but to, to marry those two things up I think for some people is a little bit mind-blowing because you sort of think of AI and algorithms as in you know you can't put the human side into this kind of new technology but what you're talking about is the fact that it it gives you more human insights than than you could just do from like I said that initial browsing and website and sort of general review. Right. Yeah. And, and I don't think that most of us even have a sense for just how much these algorithms um, are pervasive in our lives. And I don't I don't mean that in a kind of boogeyman, negative uh, AIs taking over the world kind of way, because we I think there's a di distinct difference by saying we're going to use data and technology to help inform us as people to make better decisions, as opposed to saying we're going to rely on AI to make the decision for us. Um, and so where Truve exists is sort of at the beginning of your search process to say, I have to select a subset of these schools in order to focus my attention and then make my decision. And can I get better information um, in order to do that? And I think that's, um, that's the role that we play. And, and like you said, the, that type of, of assistance is everywhere. It's, it's if you're on Amazon shopping, if you're on Netflix watching something, uh, if you're trying to find a hotel or an airline fare, all of these these algorithms are working very much in that pattern recognition based on the people that have come before you that have a similar pattern have made the following choices. And I, I find that very helpful. And, it, and it, it replaces when I was a student, big, thick reference binders that had a bunch of numbers that I could have to sort of distill down what matters and and so what. Um, this is this should be much better and easier today, um, and I don't think that we do a terribly good job of it, and that's that's why we decided to start our company. And how did that then follow on, sort of subsequently, when you were doing it with your your other children? Were you able to have some of this in place already, or was it just that extended learning experience that kind of sort of gave you a slightly different journey? Um, no, the, the, this was. Um, 
a, a fairly long time coming. It was sort of a slow boil that I put on the side and I kept talking about. Um, and um, there were there was almost 10 years between when I started looking um, at schools with my oldest to when my youngest finally graduated from university. And by the time my youngest was a senior in college, I, um, I'd been talking about this enough and started to really kind of focus and refine. Initially, it was just a, an interesting idea, but I really started to focus and refine it. My wife said to me, look, you either need to do this or stop talking about it. Um, <laughs> and, you know, by the time our, our, our youngest was just about finished with the university, we had the opportunity to, um, I, I think, sort of say, OK, now some of the big tuition bills are done. And, and I was at a stage in my career where I said, you know, I really want to try this. I, I'm, I'm willing to cast off from, um, you know, sort of steady paychecks and uh, uh, the things that come from working for others and say, I'm going to try to build something of my own because I think this is a problem worth, uh, worth investing my time in. And like I said, it wasn't when I first thought about this, this I thought the problem was helping students get into college because that's what I was trying to do. And, and I think at least in the U.S., there's very much a sense that, that that's the problem with college admissions is getting into the very best school, because the best school is defined as the most prestigious, uh, the shiniest school you can get into. And it wasn't until I really connected with the idea that the problem isn't getting in, the problem is getting out, that the average acceptance rate at a U.S. college is about 75 percent. Um, and that's just, you know, we all think about Harvard and MIT and Stanford that are accepting 3%. Uh, that's a, a fewer than 5% of all schools are highly selective. Everyone else is accepting most of the students that apply. And the graduation rates, the on-time graduation rate nationally is 45%. Um, and ultimately, the ultimate graduation rate over a course of seven or eight years is only about two-thirds. So a third of students who start end up just stopping out altogether. Um, and like I said earlier, about half of all students will transfer or drop out. So that was the, the, really, the real motivator when I connected with the idea that this is about helping students to graduate and that, oh, by the way, graduation rates are not evenly distributed between races and genders and socioeconomic groups um, and ethnicities. And that those with the least in our system today uh, first-generation students and low-income students uh, and certain underrepresented minorities really struggle with their success rates um, and their debt rates. And that's an issue in the U.S. in particular. There's $1.7 trillion of cumulative student debt um, in the United States. And these are, these are debilitating factors, especially if you incur a bunch of that debt and then fail out or stop. Now you have debt that could be this, you know, outside of your rent is probably your most expensive bill every month is your student loan payment for a degree you didn't achieve that doesn't entitle you to a bigger, better paying job. And so it's a real trap. Um, and, that, and that's really what motivated me to finally sort of cast off and say, OK, time to stop collecting my paycheck from from the man and build my um, build my business to try to solve a big societal problem. And take us into that journey a little bit. So from the idea and the talking about it, and I've just got this amazing picture of you at that conversation with your wife. I don't know if it was around a dinner table or whatever, but just that kind of, I I, I completely, um, yeah, 
can relate <laughs> to those sorts of things. Lovingly um, but forcefully delivered. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, so, what's the next step? And like I say, you've got a you know a great history in terms of of the work that you've done before in terms of creating things. Is it a question of I've got the idea? I need to find all the experts. Did you have people who were sort of within your sort of field already that you could sort of lean on? What? How did that sort of sort of develop over time? Yeah, um, it's a great question. So, you know, I, classically, the founder of a software startup knows how to code software, uh, or has worked in that space um, and and has experienced the pain points for decades. Um, and or as a psychologist who has a point of view, I mean, there's some kind of technical expertise you bring to it. I, I'm none of the above. Um, I couldn't code to save my life. I did not build a career in, in higher education enrollment. Um, and and I'm sort of the, the commercial guy with an idea, um, the passion, um, and I think the vision to be able to say, okay, this is what I think the solution is. And from my perspective, I'm, I am at the same time unencumbered by all the reasons why you can't do that. Oh, it's never been done that way, right? So I'm, I'm sort of blissfully ignorant of all the things that have failed over the years, and I'm willing to just throw myself into this um, and to, to keep going through all the challenges that come up. So I, my process was understanding my own limitations and saying I need to, A, inform myself about the real problem here. Um, so yes, I, I, I went out and I spoke to college admissions offices, um, I spoke to college presidents. I spoke to high school guidance counselors and private college admissions officers. I spoke to parents. I spoke to students um, in large numbers and read exhaustively to try to bring myself up to speed. Um, and as I was I was talking to a, a venture capitalist the other day, and I said, you know, you think of me potentially as someone who's not an expert in this field, but I got a master's degree in business in just under two years. I've been doing this for four years. And, and so from my perspective, I've got a PhD in this issue right now because I am every day thinking very aggressively and thoughtfully about this. So um, now I think I'm, I'm probably pretty well qualified. But back in the beginning, I was definitely surrounding myself with experts and being very vulnerable, saying, I, I don't know what I don't know. And please help me understand this issue. Um, and then the second thing I needed to do was then find the technical experts um, who could bring the skill sets to bear. Um, so there, and, and probably an interim step of saying, I've done the, the technical exploration to say the solution that Spotify, Netflix, Amazon are using actually would be a really great solution. And that business model of saying there is a, a methodology that's working in industry X that I don't have to, I can adjust it a little bit for mine, but I can bring it into my industry to great effect. And that's innovation. I don't have to invent the algorithm. I have to apply the algorithm. And so that's sort of recognizing this is the subset of tools I think we need and then going to find the technical experts. Um, um, and so I, like I said, I, I talked to industrial psychologists, I talked to programmers and, um, and ultimately was hoping to find a technical co-founder for the business um, and ended up actually finding someone who had already built a billion dollar software business who loved the idea wanted to get involved, but because he built a billion dollar business, didn't really need to get involved as a founder <laughs> and do all this work. Um, but he has been integral to um, to helping to sort of lead the, the technology development. So we outsourced a lot of that um, because you, you do a lot of these things kind of at the bare minimum cost initially, uh, which was then the last piece was, okay, I have a really clear idea of the problem. 
I have a clear definition of the solution. I have a series of experts who can then deliver that solution. Now I need capital. Um, and so I, I went about um, the, the classic kind of friends and family raise um, and ended up raising quite a bit of money um, through friends and family networking and just going and going and going and, and pitching, pitching, pitching. Um, and then we built it and launched it. And now we are ready for another round of fundraising uh, and and the next version, the next iteration of our product, which we're super excited about. It's a it's a great story and it's and it's a great kind of journey that I think is really clear. And I and I think so many people will, will find it fascinating and also just how obvious it is, as all these things are, when someone's done it <laughs> and they and they get and put all those pieces together. So in terms of the people using it and the people talking about it, like you said, it's two sides of the coin. It's students looking to find or get a you know get the, that information that they need to sort of whittle down maybe some of their options as well but i guess like you said from the the college university standpoint they need people coming in because you know they need the pupils and the numbers from that point of view but they also want to have their sort of graduation rates going up as well and actually being successful so are they kind of pitching it back to the students as well as the students sort of finding it on their own and going the other way yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, initially when we started, we we needed to focus on one of those two groups just from a resource uh, efficiency standpoint, whether we launched to the students and their families or whether we launched to the schools. Um, and the schools are the lower cost way to go. There are 4,000 schools and there are tens of millions of potential students. Yeah. And trying to reach that larger audience and convert people one at a time um, was difficult. And we also chose very consciously to to set up a business model that today is entirely free to the students and paid for by the colleges and universities. Um, and, and some of that is intentional on my part, because like I said, there is enormous discrepancy in the U.S. in particular between the haves and have not, right? The wealthy students do much better in our system than those of lower means. And so I kind of wanted to stand up and say, that's not okay. So we made it free for the students. Um, and the universities today collectively are spending about $15 billion a year on, on their marketing and enrollment activities collectively. And so we thought, okay, if we can dip our toe into that revenue stream, that makes the whole world flow. And like you said, the problems facing these 4,000 colleges and universities uh, are pretty severe and they're getting worse. Um, it's There is actually a population decline known in the industry as the demographic cliff. So there are fewer students headed towards college and university over the coming decade than there have been in the past. Um, the college going rate, so the percent of students that actually believe I should and need to get a university education is declining rapidly, um, driven by the cost and that sort of youthful belief that they can go straight to the NBA, right? They can, they can become a, a YouTube influencer uh, who needs college for that. Um, so that, that's a problem. And then simply reaching those students is a growing problem as well. The, that, that problem that, that how do, how does a school market itself has historically been done on a volume basis. They would buy hundreds of thousands of names. The average school would buy hundreds of thousands of names of students gen generically. Give me all the students in this four or five state radius around my school and let me just pound away at them with mailing and emailing and texting. Um, let me go to all these college fairs and stand around and try to get their attention by giving away water bottles. And this nonsensical stuff that schools will admit is 
95 to 98% inefficient. It's just wasting the money. Um, students are working aggressively to avoid all of that nonsense <laughs> and resent that nonsense. Uh, but schools don't know any other way. And with the pool of those students sort of drying up, it's becoming a real problem. So we came to the schools and said, look, we want to find students who are actually going to persist. So you need fewer students. Every year, if half your students are leaving, then you need to refill your bucket much more quickly, much more aggressively. Let's plug those holes for you and get students that will actually stay is kind of job number one. And then let's use the, the high value that you have in your current students to be predictive of which students those will be. And then we'll give you a tool, this matching quiz to use in your marketing um, in order to really uh, sort of separate the wheat from the chaff from, um, from your prospect pool. So you can understand in this pool of hundreds of thousands, which are the ones where you really should be applying your resources and your people's time because they're the most likely to actually enroll and persist. Um, and so version one of our product, which is out there now, is yes, it's open to the students. All 4,000 colleges in the US are on the platform. Um, and then we are going school by school to say, you need to, you know, we can help you to, to be much more efficient, to have much better outcomes, to reach students you wouldn't otherwise reach. Um, we did a beta test in the last admission cycle with three universities and drew about 100,000 students um, from 183 different countries that were looking for, you know, what's the best fit school in the US for me? And that kind of diversity is really compelling for these colleges and universities that too often, uh, you know, the average in the US for public universities at least is that 75% of their students come from within 100 miles of their school. And so when you can start to add diversity of experience um, and of all, you know, all different types of learners from all different parts of the world, you create a much more vibrant academic culture and social culture, which is better for everyone. So there are just a lot of benefits. So, yeah, we've, we've gone after the school version of this um, to say, let's help you to be more efficient, to reach beyond your conventional boundaries of, of your recruiting and to do it more cost efficiently as we progress we want to pivot now to building a much more student-centric version um, that I'm, I'm super excited about because it's, it's so fun. Um, trying to, to do something that teenagers are going to like, it's essentially a dating app for college admissions, right? Yeah. So they, they, can, they can quickly match with the schools that are the right ones for them. They, can, they then control, I swipe on this one to allow that school to communicate with me we use generative AI kind of technology to then immediately have a conversation with that student from that school to say, hey, Mark, we'd love to chat with you. Um, thanks so much for swiping on us. We see you like this, this, and this. Would you like to connect with some students who are, you know, would be in your class, who are two classes ahead of you? We have all that capability in today's world. If you rethink and sort of unmoor yourself from the old ways of doing this, of sending out all this spam into the universe, there's a really compelling way to do that. Um, that's enabled by technology and that is for these students who've, who've grown up in the age of the internet. Um, this idea of, of the old admission system is, is ridiculous to them. And this is a really fresh take that students are just going to love. And, and then with new investment dollars, we will go out and build that audience directly with students and say, you don't need to go school by school, come to us, get to know, you know, you can, you can, Figure out quickly the kind of schools that will be best for you. You can approve the ones who can talk to you and the ones who can't. 
and then start those conversations. Um, and and that, that I think is going to be a huge win for both students and for schools to then be drawn in and say, you're going to hand deliver to me all these students who've matched with us and express an interest in speaking with us. And now we can actually have a conversation as opposed to trying to send them more junk mail and wave our arms, you know, crazily in the air to try to get their attention. This, this will work better. Yeah. I love it. I love the journey and I, I love the, I love the way it's very clear to see the business model and how that works. Cause I think that's really fascinating for people as well, especially if you're within education or it's not a world that you sort of imagine, because like you say, it suddenly becomes relevant in the, in the modern age and what children and young people have sort of grown up with. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because the more data you have and the more people that have been part of it, the more accurate in the matching is likely to be because there's just more, more, more sort of nuance in, in what it is that you're able, you're able to offer. And, and I, and I think from that sort of college sort of university standpoint as well, like you said, you know, if you only need half the amount of pupils because they're going to stay there the entire time, then it means that they can really sort of define exactly what they are, what they're trying to do. And, and I think the other thing from a, a UK perspective, of course, is the fact that we think of um, of our children going anywhere to university because the furthest it's going to be is, you know, a five hour drive. If it's the other end of the country, it's a very right. different kind of mindset for, for where you are in terms of, you know, literally sort of days of travel that could be. And so I hadn't quite ever sort of sort of taken that on board that the proportion of people that are going to go within, you know, X number of miles or X number of hours just because that's kind of what you do. And, and sometimes, you know, and, and I sometimes it makes perfect sense that you need to stay close to home. Sure. Uh, I think the reality for a lot of students is they can't afford to not live at home or they have a job that contributes to the family's income that's required. Um, school is a part time thing. So I, I, I think we need to be sensitive to all those things. But, yeah, there's there is a, a large portion of students. Uh, and, you know, in the U.S., again, it's a scale issue. There are literally millions of students who, if they found their perfect fit school that happened to be a plane ride as opposed to a car ride away, and the economics of that worked for them, and the school, because they understood the quality of that fit, made that work for them, um, then I think there's, there's that, that is not being, that need is not being met today. And that's one of the things we want to do uh, because there's, there's just such a, a huge opportunity, I think, for schools to improve their persistence rates. And that that's one of the things we actually ask our partner schools and schools that sign up with us to track for us is just follow the students that we send you through their education um, and, and take them from, did they enroll at a different rate? Did they turn from freshmen into sophomores at a different rate? Did they graduate at a different rate? Um, and then ultimately, to be honest, the, the university business in the United States, the the business model is I want to sell you one degree and then I want to chase you for the rest of your life and ask you to donate money to the university for no good reason that I can tell. Um, and that model is a sort of a ridiculous model. I mean, in the same way that our children are trying to avoid all the emails and spam from colleges, I'm trying to avoid my undergraduate university chasing me around once or twice a year to ask me for donations. Uh, and so what we're trying to do is say, look, there is a small percentage, and, and statistically, it's about one in 10 undergraduates remain or who graduate from, from, from college or university remain engaged in any way with their undergraduate university, which means that nine out of 10 of us graduate and never look back. Um, and if schools could take that 
one in 10 and make it say one in five. Um, that would be a dramatic transformation from, from their business model perspective. And as the world evolves and we all change careers more often, and as we need upskilling in our current jobs to get to that next level, or we want a certification in a new skill or a new hobby, something we want to, you know, if, if I don't understand cryptocurrency, how do I learn about that? Is there a quick certification course I could have in crypto trading or something that might interest me as a hobby? And if my default for where I go for education is my undergraduate school, because those are my people, that's where I'm deeply connected. Then modern technology and online learning and VR and all kinds of, of new ways of, of, of delivering education means that if I can create that connection to that person and then stay with them for the rest of their life and continue to deliver, to deliver value and education to them for decades, that business model is where I think education is headed and should be headed, but it's all predicated on can you find your people at the beginning of the journey? Um, and, and it doesn't take a lot of change in those engagement rates to have a dramatic effect for the college or the viability of some of these 4,000 colleges and universities. And that's what we're, when we say we're going to model your engaged gra graduates, because by definition, if a graduate says, yes, you know, Mark, I will take your quiz. Or Dave, you know, yes, we, we'd be happy to take 10 minutes and take your quiz. They are literally an engaged graduate. Um, and so we are modeling that in order to create more of that for the future generations of that university. And I don't have the data yet to prove that that's correct, but it's pretty logically correct. Yeah. Um, and I'm willing to take that bet. And, and so far, a bunch of schools are as well. Yeah, no, it, it's it's brilliant because it does literally change the the way all of this can work and and my my initial thought from that to sort of expand on that is the fact that our network which is often part of our like say our undergrad or, or that time we spend at university are the people that we're in that like say the same year as the the same classes you know that kind of thing but the way the world is working and you know the applications that we're talking about actually if once you're sort of invested in the university as a whole the people that you may be engaging at because you're able to do it online now and be part of an extended community might not necessarily just have been the ones that were in your class it was the ones from the year above or five years above or the fact that you're mentoring or supporting because you want to be involved like you said in that university because you're invested in it because you had such a great time because the people that helped you you want to be giving back and all of that and that self-fulfilling prophecy suddenly becomes like I say probably quite hard to put a value on at the moment but I'm sure in a few years time with a bit of hindsight you'll go it was worth every moment I spent like I say just taking the quiz or being involved or, or, or sort of giving back in any way they could. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you're describing the search for your people. Um, you know, you, I don't know if this translates quite as well in the UK, but uh, you, you hear this phrase in the U S about, you know, I'm just trying to find my tribe. Yeah. Right? Who, who are my people? Um, and, and that, I think we, we used to think, well, those are the, the students who were in, in, in college with me, right. You know, maybe a year above a year below, um, but that's about it. Now it's, it's, I think we think more expansively about it and it, it's, Hey, wow, we have something in common. We, we might be, uh, you know, 20 years apart in age, but we share this common attachment to this place because that place represents something that's vital to you and I. And, and it's a, it's a really uh, strong, strong bond that I think is somewhat unique to education. 
Um, and, and so the, to the extent that we can quantify that and then use that as the filter through which we see prospective new students, we are only going to build stronger kind of connective tissue between our community members and only good things happen when we do that. Yeah. And I just sort of think about it in my life, you know, podcasting isn't something I studied at college. Um, right. You know, live streaming isn't something I studied in college, but the communities that I'm involved in where we are learning together, you know, it's not a typical educational establishment, but, you know, Ecamm, for example, is a product that I use to help me do all my live streaming and recording. Um, and there's a fantastic community built around that. Um, and online, everyone's supportive. And like I say, different ages, different demographics, different countries, the whole thing. But there are a hundred of us who actually all came together just a couple of weeks ago um, in the Boston area to kind of meet up and to be able to practice these things in real life and to meet in person as well. And I think that just sort of shows how education can be um, sort of place-based, but then also study-based and interest-based and how people will go that extra mile, like you say, for that percentage of people who want to have that extra step to give back, to have have more input and more impact. And and I think what you're saying there is an incredibly exciting for what education in various different guises could look like based on, on I think, those things you've managed to pinpoint are the important factors, like you say, rather than just the, the traditional system that everyone kind of knows and doesn't love. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's an interesting, if you really think about historically how these things happen, I mean, the, the education system was initially set up to educate uh, white males, white male property owners, basically, um, and their, and their, and their white male offspring. Um, and that system, if we're not careful, I mean, the, the admission system in the U S at least is, is sort of built around this idea of exclusivity and around uh, means. And, and so we have to thoughtfully untie some of those knots. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's an interesting, interesting, I think, benefit of being an outsider to the industry four years ago um, to be sort of unencumbered and say, okay, if, if college was invented today, what is the admission system we would set up in order to feed every school with their best matched students? And sometimes you go through that intellectual exercise as a product developer and you say, we just need to tweak the way it already, the way we're already doing it. And there are other times where you say, there's really kind of a wholesale change that needs to happen here. Um, and I think we're in that situation in higher education, at least in the US to say, we have an opportunity to really fundamentally change the way we're doing this um, and that, that everyone is going to benefit uh, for that. And I think the thing that I find really exciting about it is the fact that when you say wholesale change, you, you kind of think, right, this has ended, blank space, this is the new thing. And what mm -hmm. you've been able to sort of really demonstrate today is the fact that we're taking the knowledge, the technology, the understanding, the needs of everyone involved and we're able to kind of just sort of gradually sort of bring that in, you know, that there's still going to be a university and a place to go, you know, you're still going to go and do that. It may right. well be like, say, there's going to be an online side and, and all of those sort of innovations as well. But it wasn't that university stopped in their form, you were just able right. to sort of mold these things together. And I think people being able to see that overall arc of a journey and how it's going to definitely look, and then you can, like say, back that up with 
you can understand why this is going to work because of like say spotify or a dating dating app idea or or the fact that you need students like this and you want to find colleges that you want to go to i think is i just love the fact that this obviously makes so much sense and is a very exciting thing but hopefully people listening will be thinking oh but that I can apply that, which I think is probably the key thing that you mentioned early on, to this, whatever that this happens to be in education. And then it becomes an exciting prospect that we're not waiting for it all to completely crumble before we rebuild something we don't know what that is. We're able to sort of have all these different ideas and pull them in. And like I said, right. not not having the direct experience is probably the great way of being able to do that because you're coming from a real solution standpoint rather than being um, beholden to all the things I think things need to look like. Yeah, I, I think that that's exactly right. And, and, you know, it all starts, I think, from an empathetic perspective that says, let me try to understand if I'm an enrollment officer at a college or university, what what are my pain points? What's really motivating me? Um, and then go through that same exercise for I'm a parent or I'm a college admissions advisor to, to students or I am a, a student who is who, you know, we ask students all the time. Uh, you know, especially if they're reaching the end of their high school experience, you know, say, so what are you doing next year? That's such a well-intended question, but it's terrifying to most students, right? It's it's such a, a stress-inducing uh, kind of question. And so being able to, to say, okay, let me go and talk to these students and really be open to hearing what they're saying. Let me do that with the admissions officers and really hearing what they're saying, figuring out those pain, pain points and then finding a solution that actually helps to alleviate those pain points. That's the motivator that says, okay, I'm, I'm going to get on board. And it's very, it's been so interesting to me on this journey, because like I said, I've, I've developed everything through the course of my career from washing machines to wind turbines, um, consumer products, industrial products, lots of different things. The adoption curve for any new technology is a classic bell curve where the people that are going to adopt it in the beginning, are a relatively small percentage of the total. And they are the, the sort of classic early adopters who don't say to you, well, you know, Mark, how many other schools are using this technology today? Or how many students are on the platform? They, they, they're not looking for a crowd to validate their answer. They like, I get this, that's really smart. Let me try that. Um, that whether it's education, uh, renewable energy or toothpaste, uh, that's always a small percentage of the of, of your market. And so we're out there trying to convince those early adopters now. And at some point you reach these tipping points where you start to get some critical mass and then the, the FOMO kicks in, right? The fear of missing out that says, oh my goodness, I see everyone around me talking about this, doing this, I better be on that. And, and that's the dream of every, uh, every business owner, every inventor to say, we've reached that tipping point and now let's just make sure we have enough staff to keep up. Um, we're not there yet. Um, we're more on the front end of that curve, but it's the way you get there is by connecting with people's pain points and genuinely delivering um, the solutions for them. Yeah. It's absolutely fascinating. I mean, we've chatted for so long about this. I've absolutely loved what we've been able to do and, and pull these things together. But I just want to be able to finish off with the fact that um, the acronym FIRE is really important to us here, Education on Fire. And by that, we mean feedback, inspiration, resilience, and empowerment. What is it that strikes you when you hear that? And how does it sort of tie in with, like, say, that sort of professional experience that you, you've, been, you've been able to go through? 
Yeah, you know, all of those words have meaning to me. Um, and they're all deeper four years after I started this company than they were on the day I started it. Um, the the resilience piece in particular, I'm struck by because there's a kind of a, a, a common joke that, that goes around Silicon Valley, and it probably was invented somewhere else. But this idea that, that being a startup founder, um, a successful startup founder has the ability to go from disappointment to disappointment with no lack of enthusiasm. Um, and so you just, like, I, I really genuinely believe in the problem we're solving needs the solution and that the students we're trying to help need our support. And so I can get brushed off and kicked and told no, but I'm going to keep going. Um, and it's because I connect with, with the mission um, and that I understand what I believe to be the real genuine pain points and that if we can get to this solution, we're going to change the world. Um, and that, that gets me out of bed every morning and that lights my fire um, and, uh, and I think makes this really, really fun. Win or lose, uh, succeed or fail, uh, it's, it's an incredible journey and we're having fun doing it. Well, I think that epitomizes everything that I love and believe in and why this podcast exists because it's not just about talking about it it's about sharing people who've actually gone out and done it and to be able to share that in such a clear um way i think has been really helpful for people listening but i think also it just gives so much encouragement to the fact that education no matter where you are or supporting children no matter what the problems are or whatever your experience is can be different and it's not an easy journey as you said you know there's, there's all manner of hurdles you have to get over but understanding and seeing how someone else has gone about it or their starting point or their thought process means that you don't quite feel like it's never going to change because there are people out there who are thinking like that they're surrounding themselves with those people they're open to connect they want to have conversations and like I say the mission is the most important thing and when you're able to support people and we know that you know the the young that we're supporting are going to be the ones that are going to be taking that forward and changing as, as well so when they get to see how that's been innovated hopefully that's going to you know stand the world in good stead um going forward so dave thank you so much for for chatting about all that tell people where they can find out more about it and, and how they can get involved yeah absolutely well i appreciate you having me uh, you can go to truve.me t-r-o-o-v-e.me um, and you can do it as a student or as a parent, um, take the quiz. Um, it takes about 10 minutes. You can just click on that, find my school, uh, find my schools button. And, uh, and you take the quiz one time and you can go back and change your answers as you grow and evolve as a student, but that will show you, um, the schools in either a green, yellow, or red fit based on your academic and social alignment with the people that have gone to those schools. Amazing. And if you're listening and you take the quiz and <laughs> I don't know whether this is a conversation or feedback we get next week or maybe next year or the year after, but the chance to sort of having heard this gone and actually being part of it and, and hearing your experience back, I'd really love that. So yeah, do make sure you keep in touch and let us know your journey. And yeah, again, Dave, thank you so much indeed. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for listening and being part of this wonderful community. With over 300 episodes, I've collated 20 resources from guests that have been on the show to help you in your educational journey and those of you involved with young people. Just go to educationonfire.com and you can sign up on the homepage. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail 
the lighting of a fire.